0: And he's like, well, you can increase your payment, but you can only increase it by 20%. I said, okay, that, fine. Will that cover the difference? He's like, no. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, can I just increase it to the amount that's going like, to bring me back onto my amortization? And he was like, no, you can only increase it by 20% because that's what's in your contract. So effectively, I'm in basically negative amortization because my lender wouldn't let me increase my payment enough to get to regular amortization.
1: Welcome to the Tom Story Show with Steve Carrish and Tom Story, where we discuss everything real estate or whatever else is on our minds.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Tom Story Show. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you listening. Steve, this podcast continues to grow, and I feel like we haven't maybe actually told the audience how much we appreciate them. Do you appreciate the audience, Steve? Because some of them think you don't appreciate them. <laughs> I am I apologize for calling some people idiots a couple <laughs> weeks ago, but yes, I appreciate it. It's awesome. I think it's great. We actually got some positive
1: uh, feedback and comments lately, so it's nice to have.
2: It's been awesome. So uh, if you're watching this episode on YouTube, I want to say thank you. If you have not already, make sure to subscribe. And if you learn anything at all today new, all we ask is you give this episode a like on YouTube to help the algorithm. If you've been listening on the audio platform as well, I want to say thank you. Whatever you are currently doing right now as you are listening. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would like to introduce our guest this week. Mike Uzis has joined the show. Mike is actually an office mate of mine, so we work together at the same brokerage here in Toronto. Uh, he is a former, former professional hockey player, so I really want to get into that with you today. He also runs a YouTube channel and puts out great content, and he has a podcast as well. He's kind of like... If anyone's ever watched the show Ballers, he's like the Dwayne Johnson, but for hockey players when they retire. He's trying to help them on a financial path. Mike, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, I'm not sure if I live up to that expectation or uh, is that what I'm trying for, but uh, yeah, thanks for having me.
2: Well, we appreciate you being here. So just to give everyone a bit of a background, um, and I, and I've told you this before, I don't want to compliment you too much off the bat here, but like, I could tell from the moment that you joined our office, you showed up every morning, you had a routine. I was like, this guy's going to succeed. And very quickly your, your business took off. So it wasn't a surprise to me. Do you think that came from your years of being a professional athlete and do you, do you kind of like, let us know. Cause you had a whole life before you actively started selling real estate. What was that like? Like, what was that path?
0: Yeah. So, um, I mean. The the hockey path like I I played uh, I did the OHL thing which which for Steve is the WHL out west uh, played that in four years did two years at Canadian University uh, got my degree and then went pro from there so I played I played thirteen years pro I did three years in the minors and then ten years over in Europe so um, it was a long career so I've already retired once at the age of thirty five and. Uh, Real estate was something that I've always kind of wanted to do. My dad's a a realtor as well in Hamilton. And um, as I actually, for me, like um, when things shut down and everything, our courses all went online for real estate. I actually wanted to do my license when I was playing just mostly for my own properties that I was uh, buying and selling. But then um, I was like, okay, well, I'm Kind of nearing the end of my career, maybe it's time to start transitioning, and and that's kind of where I was like, all right, I'm going to do this full time and just dove right in. So but it, they're very similar
2: businesses, just yeah. a totally different game. I always thought it was kind of funny um, because I still get told by some of our colleagues how young I am in this business, but I'm like, if I was a professional athlete, I'm not getting the long term contract at this point in my life. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not actually young anymore. I'm not in my prime, so. Is it was it weird to say like you retired from something and you're 35 years old because that's like super young? Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, yes and no. Like when you when you play a sport for a living, and obviously I'll reference hockey because that's what I know. Like that's all you do for your whole life, and like 13 years is a long time to play professionally. And uh, so when I retired, it was like okay. Um, I didn't play in the NHL and and the very select few players that are able to play at that level and, you know, make a living that they don't have to ever work again, I would say is like a very minute percentage of professional athletes as a whole. So for me, it was like, okay, well, I need to plan next life and next career. and, And real estate was kind of what I wanted to do. But yeah, I guess... I mean I I'm entering the business a little bit older which I think also has some advantages too in
2: comparison to starting younger but uh yeah it's been fun fun few years so far now now that you've been not just investing in the market, and I'll get to that in a second, of like your journey of when you were playing overseas in Europe, that you were actively investing in real estate, which I think is very, very smart. Because I'm sure a lot of people that that were going through that with you are maybe just living their life. They were playing hockey for a living and not really worrying about anything else. And you've kind of told me that it was like you knew where you were going to be. Your entire life was structured. They paid for your housing. Like it was, just, it was just like an easy way of living. And you don't know what the real world is like sometimes because you're so stuck in this. When you came over to real estate as an active business owner, was there anything that surprised you right off the bat? You're like, oh, I had no idea it was actually this. Is it what you thought? Is it easier? Is it harder? Like for anyone that's listening that's in the industry or, or maybe just starting that you were there not that long ago, uh, what was that like? Yeah,
0: I don't think anyone really knows what it's like until you're actually in it. I think it, this is a perfect business where you see things on TV and and just you see like kind of a top of the top, do their thing. And it seems very easy. Uh, but there are a lot of elements uh, involved as, as you guys know super well. And, um, I kind of equate it to like when you're starting anything new, like for me, my whole thing was how can I learn the most amount of things I possibly can and just start, like, I just want to dive in all in and not really like do anything on the side. I was like, I'm, I'm all in real estate. I'm fully retired in hockey and I'm just going all in. I'm going to learn what I can and do the courses that I feel like are going to be right for me at the time. And, um, even when joining brokerages, I interviewed like seven or eight brokerages and, um, my whole thing is culture and I I just took the approach of like a player. If I'm interviewing or if my agents presenting me at the time, like different teams, different opportunities, what does that look like? Um, what is the culture like? What is the um, reputation of, of the brokerage and stuff like that? And um, I chose Signature. I'm very happy
2: I did. And uh, that helped me a lot too to get the ball rolling. I, uh, I'm going to ask you a question that I know is an annoying question that you get. Um, so after you do something as not just for fun but as your career – is it now just like annoying when people are like, Mike, come play goalie for our men's league, beer league? You're like, no, I'm not playing with you, idiots. like I was a professional. I'm not putting my pads back on for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, that's a question I still get asked all the time. Um, yeah, it's not – I haven't touched my gear since I retired. So like I retired and it was like cold turkey. Like mm-hmm. my stuff is at my parents' house in Hamilton and just sitting there in the, in the garage and it's really not. Uh, I don't know. Like I now, a couple years out, I'm like I don't even know if I want to put the pads on because what I used to be able to do, like I don't think my body could even move like that anymore, and I'm I'd be like more embarrassed and or afraid of getting injured <laughs> based on putting pads on. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh,
2: I get asked it all the time, and the answer is still to this day, it's pretty much no. So no. Steve, what do you think if you were? Um Athletically talented at anything? What do you think the sport would have been that you would have gone pro with?
1: Hey man, I played. I played
2: not much growing
1: up. <laughs> <laughs> stick in the not, stick in the ground. <laughs> I'm I'm not athletically talented at all. I think my rugby coach in grade 12 laughed at the way I ran. So like, but what what are
2: this what the, if you could have chosen the sport that you would have been really good at to play professional? What would it have been? UFC or something? For for fun. For sure, for fun. If I oh, if I would have found fighting when I
1: was younger, that would have been probably where I went. But the, the answer to this question should always be, in my estimation, basketball. Mm. Why? Because, because they have the fewest amount of games for the most amount of money. So mm. their rosters are small. True. And they usually, on average, if you're a plumber, as I assume if I could ever get into a uh, into a league, I would not be anybody doing any good. Um, I think that that would be the right answer. If you could make it to the
2: top, least amount of abuse on your body, I think yeah. that would be the right answer. I was thinking maybe football, you'd make more money because you play way less games, but similar to what Mike was saying with hockey, like those guys go in and out. And nothing's really guaranteed unless you're a quarterback. There's the only one, ones really making the money. Okay, back to real estate. So Mike, what I wanted to get into was... During your years, especially the years, so you started in North America and then you went off to Europe, and how long were you in Europe for and where were you?
0: Yeah, so I did three years in uh, North America, so I started, my first year I was under contract with, uh, with an AHL team, the team here in Toronto, and I was in the minors for a year in California and then did two years in Vegas. Uh, that was like full recession time in Vegas, so I like lived there during that time, which was huh. super interesting um and then i did yeah 10 years i played in the austrian league so i was uh two years all the all the teams are in the same league but two years in croatia six in uh Linz, austria so i was between salzburg and vienna for six and then the
2: last two years just outside of uh, budapest is there is there of all those places is there a big hockey culture there like were people into it yeah yeah, yeah. it's uh
0: it's pretty popular there i mean it's like in Linz especially like we had or in croy in zagreb too actually uh there we'd have six to zagreb was i think the rink was like seven eight thousand sold out every night fans going crazy like think like soccer stadium yeah. atmosphere you're like people go nuts and it's it's a cool vibe and uh in lintz same thing with we had three, a little smaller rink like five six thousand people but again sold out uh it's cool because in a city of uh, the city was about one hundred and fifty thousand in in Linz and uh the fat like People love it. Like hockey's their like their team there, and yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun.
2: That's awesome. Now, now during that time period, and this is where I think this is really interesting, especially for the viewers and the people listening to this, is yes, you know, you were living your life, you were doing your thing that you were really great at, but at the same time, you were slowly investing into real estate. Can you kind of walk me through when did that start, and then by the time you retired, you know, how many properties had you gotten to? What did that look like, and And I guess like why? Why were you doing it the whole time? Like what got you on that path? Sure. Um, So the hockey player lifestyle and I'd say
0: any pro athlete lifestyle is pretty similar. Like basically you are in a cycle for your entire career. So for a hockey player like right now is the start of August. So every August 1st, I would pack up all my stuff in Toronto, put it into storage, rent out my place fully furnished fly to europe unpack my life in europe live there for eight months pack it all up again fly home and four months in toronto eight months in europe and just like the cycle just kind of rotated for basically like when you start i mean i I moved away from home uh when i was 16 so basically for 20 years that's like the life you know and the life you get accustomed to and um during that time like once i once I was like 21, 22 years old and uh, training here in Toronto, and I'm from Hamilton originally, uh, I, I was renting condos uh, for the summer for three, four months, which is extremely tough to do. It's really tough to find a short-term condo. And what I would do is I would just call landlords directly on Facebook or whatever and just say, hey, uh, I'm a professional athlete, is it possible? I know your place is for rent. Can I just rent it for four months? And there's obviously a premium to that. And it, I had to ask a lot of questions, like a lot, I had to ask a lot of times to get approved to like, not everyone's just like, all right, no problem. Like it Good. is a process. Right. And, um, with that was the cost. So at that time we're talking, you know, 15, 20 years ago, like 2000 a month for a rental is a lot of money. And so it would just be me and a couple of guys and we'd like rent a place and we go through this a few times and eventually my parents who have been real estate investors for a long time were like, I think it's time for you to, instead of just throw it away, basically 8,000 bucks a summer, maybe you should consider buying something. And my dad, my dad's a realtor. And, and so that's kind of where it started. And one of the years it was like, okay, I had a new contract and that's a whole different story about getting approved with, with money from, from it's yeah, it's just, but it. I mean, it, it's possible, obviously. And, um, so I, instead of renting every summer, I was like, okay, I I bought my first property, uh, in Toronto. It was, um, under $300,000 at the time, which, you know, back in 2014. And then I furnished it, I renovated it. I did all that during my office. And then I was on Airbnb and VRBO like 2014. So a long time Mm. ago, like way before it became like a I guess now it's kind of a cool thing to do, but um, I was using all those sites uh, very actively back then and renting it out fully furnished, all inclusive. It was a bit of a hack for me to rent it out and and get paid and carry itself while I was away. Right. Uh, also, the hack was that I didn't have to store my stuff anymore. Like all my furniture could just stay in the condo, and I literally would have like a a bin of summer clothes that would go into storage and a you know sheets that would switch over and stuff so um i did that once and kind of got the bug so then the next year uh i ended up uh long story i don't have to get into it but i was i was i ended up living in ottawa the next summer and did the same thing so i bought a property in ottawa the next summer because my place in toronto was still being rented and i was like okay well let me keep this rental going here bought a place in ottawa um, and then just the cycle kind of continued like that. And so then I was done renting and I always, um, the other piece of it is you always have a place to live when you move home because you can rent it out for six to seven to eight months and then, and that rental, it's a medium term rental and then move back in and rinse and repeat for, I did it for
2: the next 10 years of my career. So, so the first one was 2014. Yep. 2014. That, that's interesting because it's not even like in 24 – obviously, prices since then to now are, are significantly higher. But it's not like prices were, were like cheap then. Like if it was no. 2008 – because a, a lot of the feedback we've had with – um, you know, some people that go over their investment stories is like, well, yeah, they, they got in in the 80s. Like they needed $2,000 down <laughs> to buy that sure. property. Um, which takes me to the next question, which is, and, and I'm not asking you yours specifically what you made playing hockey, but should, just to give us a range, because when you hear about the NHL and you, you see the contracts that these guys are getting nowadays, like the top, top $10 million a year. Um, but, but playing over in Europe, which is an extremely high level of hockey, Um, what did those salaries look like for, like, a starting goalie, a a first-line forward? Like, what would that be in terms of Canadian dollars? Uh,
0: It's tough to really say because there is a component of, like, the Euros and the exchange and stuff. It it really ranges, too, from the leagues. Like, I feel like professional hockey, and the reason I say it's, like, the same business as real estate but different game, is you have so many different levels of of whatever you want to call it. Yeah, sure income or commission or whatever. Like there's all different levels of agents and all different levels of, of players. So it's kind of the same. Um, and, and it definitely ranges, but by no, by no means was I making millions of dollars playing in, in Europe, not even close. And, you know, I was making, I'd say a, a modest, uh, modest salary it's still, it's still a good salary, but it wasn't crazy, crazy. And, um, what I did was I, I put down, like I did the, the, five percent down on my first one and like literally just to get in the market like I like you know I I did my best to save up that at the time 20 grand or whatever it was plus closing costs and just got in um and then two years later I actually sold that property which is kind of like my unicorn that I wish I still had the Toronto one yeah yeah um and I bought another one in Ottawa for a similar price um and I, I actually just sold those two properties recently but uh I wish I still kept the Toronto ones, and the Ottawa ones didn't really do much. Even though they were cash flowing, they
2: really didn't do much for me over that that can, period. Can, can we get into that? Because I think this is sure. an interesting debate. Is everyone's always like cash flow is king? You need a property that cash flows; it has to cash flow. But then the speculation side of things in in our markets and all of our markets is like people buy for capital appreciation, even if it's negative on the cash flow.
1: This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by Doormat.ca. Doormat.ca is Ontario's real estate lawyer. It's an online real estate law service that brings you from purchase agreement all the way through your closing. Doormat brings transparency, simplicity, and everything else good from the internet into the real estate transaction and your real estate law industry that typically feels like a black box that continuously just breeds anxiety and stress
2: for real estate agents licensed in ontario i've got a question for you are you tired of hearing about the property closing become official from your clients that shouldn't be the case you should be hearing it from the lawyer if you sign up for doormat partners you will get real-time updates on the progress of your client's transaction and you will also unlock a 100 dollar discount for the doormat fee for your clients so if you're looking for insight for your client's property closing sign up for doormats partner program and get real-time updates throughout the process as a doormat partner you'll get emails and texts to keep you up to date on the progress of your clients if you're buying or selling a property or you're a real estate agent servicing ontario canada reach out to doormat today and let them know you found them from the tom story show and now back to the show So if, if you looked at, okay, that Toronto property that you sold versus the Ottawa one that you bought at the same time, I'm assuming the Ottawa one cash flowed better, maybe, but then if you had kept both to now, what, what did you pay for the Ottawa one when you bought it? What's it worth today? And then for the Toronto one, when you sold it, what did you sell it for? But what would have it been worth today? I think that's interesting. Sure. Um, so in 2014, I paid,
0: uh, I've, if you're a hockey guy and you know this, like Felix Poffin work number 29, I yeah. bought unit 229 in a building and it, I paid two hundred ninety two thousand two two nine hundred for it. Like two nine two nine. you did that on purpose 40. in the. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was just my thing. Um, anyway, so yeah, first one, just under 300 grand, 292,000, um, and then two years later, I sold it for like three sixty, three seventy, and it's, it's still a really good profit at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, like I remember selling it, being like, you know, I don't, I'm not sure about the market, what's going to happen next. Like, uh, I'm going to keep my auto one. It's a, and then I was, I was living there in the off seasons for some time, and not something I want to get into. But anyway, I was there for some time, and um, I paid three ten for a condo there. So I bought, I sold the one in Toronto for $360, paid $310 for a condo in Ottawa at the time. Uh, And over, like, the ones in Ottawa rented really well. Like, they were renting for a comparable amount of money Hmm. at that time, Um, which over time became cash flow positive as as the mortgage got renewed and still cash flow positive. I just sold that condo uh, a couple weeks ago for, sixty, give or take um but that condo in toronto right now would be worth just under 700 mm. for the same thing and yes there was cash flow in the ottawa one but the upside was just not nearly the same and i think that's the fine line and the other one i had in ottawa actually really didn't do much for me at all it like over seven eight years, it only went up like a hundred grand or something, which is still not bad by any means. But it's definitely not the upside that I would have got in the city of Toronto if I would have put my investments in that way. And uh, so, yeah, like uh, as far as the cash flow debate goes, like I think there is an element of if you're negative cash flow, can you still carry it and mm-hmm. still be okay? As if it's an investment, like is it going to affect your your lifestyle or anything like that? And on the positive cash flow what is the upside in that city going to look like in five to ten years and toronto is toronto like you know look at what look at what rents are right now if i would have kept that original place that i bought in toronto even with five percent down and it's it would have been renewed basically almost twice right now like 2024 would have been the second renewal on it it would have been paid down to I don't. Even, I don't even want to think about it because it's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's like hard to think yeah. about. But um, that place rents for like three thousand bucks a month right now, and I would have been cash flow over after ten years. I would have been cash flowing well over thousand fifteen hundred
2: bucks. So you almost would have got the best of both because the cash flow would have caught up eventually, and, exactly. and the actual price of the asset exactly is, went up yep. at a pace much faster than Ottawa. So why
1: the heck did you sell it?
2: Um. <laughs> uh, I actually, the reason
0: I sold it, I wanted to buy a duplex in Ottawa. That w- I really was like gung-ho buying a freehold property. Uh, I wanted like a rental in the basement. I wanted to live upstairs. And I tried really hard. Like the challenge when you're a hockey player trying to purchase a property, your window is like three months. Mm, yeah. And you got to close in those three months, right? Because then you got to get in there. You got to and I couldn't find something that fit all the marks to close in time. I drove by, I was just there. Uh, cause that, that property, I just had to unpack it. And, um, I drove by a house that I actually almost bought and it was like at the time, a little bit of a stretch for me. Like, you know, it was like, you know what, I can probably make this work. And now that thing, like a house in in Ottawa, it was in a great area. It was a, it was a weird semi. It was actually attached at the back, which I've never seen before. So like the one yeah. half of the house is what, like the house was like a freehold. And if you looked at it at the front, it was looked detached on one street. But if you went to the street behind, it was a detached, but it, they were attached. So the at backyards the
2: back. were like on the side of the houses kind of, is
0: that exactly? Yeah. Okay. So the backyards, so the house was basically like, On each street and the back of the houses were connected so it was kind of a weird and anyway that kind of threw me off a little bit and I was like you know what I'm not gonna pull the trigger I I, that thing would have done really well especially Mm -hmm. uh, in the last couple years in the city of Ottawa because their condo market took an absolute beating Um, it's all government downtown and I mean my places were rented just fine because I had a lot of uh, government employees that were renting them over the time fully
2: furnished uh, but now like they're still not even back to work full-time, so My general thought process has always been like, uh, Canadians don't love condos. Uh, they like the fact that they can afford them in very expensive markets, and it helps them get into the market. Um, and even for me, when I started investing, I only own condos, and now I've liquidated all of them and moved almost all that money, except for one uh, asset into freehold housing. Um, so that's interesting where, like, you know, for, for Toronto and Steve, your market's basically the same, right? Like I know you're just outside Vancouver, but people buy condos because townhouses are a million dollars, right? Don't like, you love condo life though? It's I not that I don't that. like it. I lo- I really enjoyed living in my condo. I loved like location yeah. was a plus, but I just think like at that moment, if I could have bought a house when I bought that condo, I would have bought a house. I bought the condo cause the condo is what I could afford.
1: Yeah to live in but when it comes to investing personally I don't want anything to do with detached because I just see the rentals that are maybe around my neighborhood and it's like you know the grass ain't getting cut by the tenants You're such an old man uh, it's uh, totally though like no but not not for the reason of the grass ain't getting cut because I'm grumpy but like if that's my investment if that roof leaks now I got to deal with that yeah. So for me, that maintenance fee is sure. my charge for convenience. So when my condo has a roof leak, not that it should, because it's hopefully well, it's not on the top floor. But if it does, if there's any problem at all, I don't have to deal with it. Mm. So, and I also loved living in a condo. Personally, I did not mind it at all. First of all, you're around more, right? Because you're in density, so you can walk to restaurants. I can't, Tom. You've been in my house, man. We ain't walking to many restaurants.
2: We're not walking nowhere.
1: we're walking to the soccer field for the kids, right? If you're lucky, there's a corner store for a Slurpee and that's about it, right? So I don't know, man, I love, I love condo life, but I do know what you're talking about where when I got into the business 2008, it was expected that you were trying to get into a 7,000 square foot lot with a little old house on it as your first time. And that's where people, the conversation gets really skewed when we start talking about, uh, they'll people will never be able The young people in Canada will never be able to afford a home. It's like, they'll be able to afford a home. They may not be able to afford a house in Vancouver or a house in heavily populated areas, but they're for sure going to be like the rest of the world. And what was it like? So for in, in, when you're in Croatia, I mean, these aren't, I would assume all 7,000 square foot lots
2: with 4,000 square foot homes on them. <laughs> That's a really good question, Steve. That's a very good yeah, question.
1: Um,
0: yeah definitely not uh, so it, it it's so different over there and um i i I can use Austria a little more of an example I was there a little longer so when guys on my team uh, would buy land uh, in the city and they would just yeah. hold on to it and like real real estate agents aren't a huge factor over there like they have just like the standard office where like they have their postings on the windows and people go up and like it's like very old school in the sense of where like people own their houses for, for all of time. And if you want to buy the house, you go knock on someone's door and and try to buy it from them basically. And it's just a very different animal when it comes to all things real estate. And, and definitely like, like to your point, like if you're buying a 7,000 square foot, like lot size, like it is so expensive in Europe, like way more expensive than here. I think like, I remember in Vienna at the time, like like seeing the pricing of a one bedroom, co- like condo. They they call them apartments, but whatever. It, like downtown in the core, like you're spending thousands on like per square foot, thousands and thousands, like two two three thousand. I think with the currency exchange for the same amount of like size. But yeah, it, it's super expensive. But they live a much like much more modest lifestyle there. It's just different, like. A lot of people have their own, they have summer homes outside, like on the, like if you're in Croatia, everyone from the city of Zagreb has a summer home in like Zadar or down on the Croatian coast and they go spend some time there and then they, they spend their time in, in, uh, in Croatia. But Croatia, I mean, as a country, like they, like they had a war in 94. Like they, you know, they, they've, they've been undergoing a lot of stuff as a country in itself and a lot of the buildings look exactly the same. And, inside those buildings the condos have been starting to get renovated and stuff but yeah definitely definitely a different
2: look and feel than what we see here down in down in Toronto for sure and I get most of it is just they're living in apartments right is there like a lot of houses in those in those cities or is it mostly like flats or apartments uh it really depends uh there's there's
0: a good amount of of houses but like not really in the core like you're you're kind of out out and about and around the town and stuff and it's just such a different lifestyle. It's such a more modest lifestyle. Like a, like a three-bedroom house is very common there. Like what do you see like a five-bedroom house here in the city, like outside of Toronto or whatever, like in, I'm sure in Surrey. But if you go to like the Oakvilles and the Richmond Hills and you see these huge, like if you're European and you come and see one of those things, it's ginormous. Like it's so big, right? So for them, it's definitely a lot more modest.
2: I couldn't believe when when I was recently in Vancouver and Steve drove me uh, to the boonies where he lives. There was like just like areas where it was all farmland, and then like a mega mansion just plastered in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and it was just so weird. That's a farmhouse. That's a far, like, uh, that's not the farmhouse I would have thought that what farmhouse meant. This was the, this was like a massive massive house. Like yeah. forty-eight windows and probably fifteen bathrooms. I couldn't believe that it. That is a highly debated yeah, topic here where yeah, we definitely have some really
1: large uh farmhouses. That are not farmhouses,
2: hobby uh, farms.
1: They are well, I mean, yeah, it's it's like I said, it's highly, highly debated uh topic. But yeah, there I think that's one thing we do have an issue with here too, is just the the modesty level of where everybody else lives in the world compared to what we expect, me sitting in my gym, right, doing this right now. Like I'm I'm assuming not too many people uh in whichever city in Eastern Europe are worried about their downstairs gym basement. Right. Like that that's probably not a consideration. If anything, it's a might be a bomb shelter from in their hundred year old home, right? Like that could be what you're you're focused on. How was it there though? So you were probably put up by teams then when you were there. Yeah. Okay, so you didn't yes. have to do you didn't have to put up with um the renter uh lifestyle that is common in Europe. Tell me if it's like this where you were. I have a cousin that uh rents in Germany. And when you go to get a new property in Germany and you're a renter, you move in and there is nothing. There is no cabinets, there is no kitchen, there is no flooring. Right, I'm assuming there's the bathtub doesn't come out, but everything else is gone. So when you go to rent a new property, you have to bring everything, including the flooring. Bring your own fridge.
2: Yeah,
0: Yeah. everything. Um, So I've never seen the no flooring thing, but I it doesn't surprise me. People own their kitchens. Like actually, like when you move into a rental, you literally bring a kitchen with you. So it's kind of, it's so weird. Like you, and then you, when you move out, you literally get to take it out and bring it to your, so like you kind of want a kitchen that is super modular that you can literally like put it into whatever your next apartment is, or they sell the kitchen on like whatever marketplace or something. And
1: yeah, maybe the one tenant sells it to the next one or or whatever. Yeah. Now you know why Ikea is so popular.
0: Yeah. So Ikea kitchens are incredibly popular there. They have a different, they have not just ikea they have a couple stores that are very similar but same same sort of design where it's like you just get the boxes and you just put them together and you get like your whatever your your countertop is
2: but yeah they, how, they don't come with kitchens yeah
1: i love how we just blew tom's mind completely well like you
2: no, <laughs> yeah. no it's just that's so crazy to me i have had over the years some clients be like you know when i was doing a lot of rentals early on in my career like does the fridge stay? I'm like, yeah, of course the yep. fridge. What do you mean? Yeah, the fridge is going to be there when you move in. Don't worry about it. Is that why European appliances are so small? Because you got to carry them around with you to your next place, or just because the units are so small? Maybe a bit uh, of both.
0: A bit of both. I, you know, it's so interesting. Like when I moved back home, like I, I, I tried to like really immerse myself in that culture when I was living there, in the sense of like, I mean, I was in Austria, like it's a, it's very similar to Germany. It's, it's the same, they speak German. It's, it's like a very similar culture. Basically like Germany, Austria would be like Canada, USA, same, same kind of setup over in Europe, uh, super high class, uh, really nice in, in Austria. And their fridges are kind of conducive to their like, they don't have, I think it's 200 pesticides that we have here. So like stuff does not last in the fridge more than three days. Uh, So like, like you literally are shopping multiple times a week because if you buy strawberries and you don't eat them in two days, like they're done, like you literally have to go back. So you don't really need a ginormous fridge where you're going to Costco and filling it with a bunch of stuff. Like it doesn't really, it's very different there. Like you're just going to buy for kind of a couple days at a time and things are fresher and like the quality of food is 10 times better than here and and so uh, yeah I think it's a combination of you don't really have the kitchen size but also too like you, you're just kind of going to the market which is down the street to your house and you're getting the food you need and come home and cook it kind of thing so a little bit different of a lifestyle I think too.
2: The Europeans had the 15 minute cities figured out long before it was a controversial <laughs> issue over here. <laughs> Um, Steve, I don't want to exclude you, but me and Mike are, are part of this uh, pretty exclusive club, okay? We have variable rate mortgages. Oh, okay? I thought you were
1: going to say something about Royal LaPage. No, 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 nothing to
2: do with that. And goalies. <laughs> we, are, we are also goalies <laughs> and we're both like reasonably – Mike's obviously way better than I was. We are both reasonably normal goalies uh, for the world of goalies. Uh, whenever we rent a goalie on our team because I play forward now – I'm always like, please be normal. Please be normal. (laughs) But uh, anyways, where I'm going with this is uh, both Mike and myself have static variable rate mortgages. And those are the type of mortgages uh, that hit trigger rates. Now, I've actually brought this up in a previous episode when we had Andrew Stevens on, but I kind of butchered the story and I was talking about Mike. Mike, we had this conversation in the office. I would just love you could walk me through like, what was the experience? What happened? You don't have to say like who the mortgage is with, but- from the day you got the first increase to the second one to the options they gave you, I'd love to know what that what that experience was like.
0: Sure, um, yeah, I guess I won't say the lender, but anyway, I've had a, I bought that property in 2019. That's where I live in my townhouse, and uh, over time, like it's been a static mortgage. And to be honest, like I had no idea what that was. Like I like just mm-hmm. being honest with you guys, like I had no clue that that. Was I
2: didn't even- know about this. What Until I was recently. signing, yeah.
0: Like this is something that I learned now that I'm a realtor. Like it, it, this is relatively new for me, even after buying and selling as my properties over time, uh, and on my other properties too. The same kind of thing. So it's like, uh, yeah, I I got a static variable mortgage. I just knew that I wanted to pay accelerated weekly and chip away at the you know try to get the amortization down. That's kind of what I I've always learned growing up and. And basically I started getting these letters in the mail as the rates were increasing, like, Hey, like, you know, your rates, this, that, whatever. But I was also getting them during the shut lockdowns and stuff too. Like I was like going the other direction. So I was, I think I was down to like 0.8% at one point, uh, (laughs) from like what my, my, my rate was because I was like prime minus whatever on the, on the deal. So, um, but then I started getting the notifications that, Things were going up and all of a sudden i get a i get one and i'm like if it said like i've hit my trigger rate or something and i should call the bank or whatever and so i call the bank and i'm like okay hey like you know i got one of these letters like what are my options and and basically it's like you can you can pay x amount it for me it wasn't that much uh to like bring it back up to amortization um relative or or, I could, or and or I can increase my payments um, to make up the difference, whatever. I'm like, okay, well, how much to increase the payments? And he's like, well, you can increase your payment, but you can only increase it by 20%. I said, okay, that, fine. Will that cover like the difference? He's like, no. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, can I just increase it to the amount that's going to like bring me back onto my amortization? And he was like, no, you can only increase it by twenty percent because that's what's in your contract. So effectively, I'm in basically negative amortization because my lender wouldn't let me increase my payment enough to get to regular amortization, which is only like I think like an extra fifty bucks biweekly or something was the difference to to make up make it up or whatever. I was like just so anyway. Yeah, I'm uh, the max I could increase it was twenty percent and. I'm in negative amortization because the bank actually wouldn't let me go to regular what it should
2: be. And then we were talking about like, okay, on that variable rate, how many years were left on, on that initial? Are you like a few years left on that? Uh, I renew in 2024. So, okay, next, so next April. So, so one year left on that. So then we talked about, okay, when you when it gets time to renew... If you were to stay with a variable rate and just keep going um, what were your options then? Could you do, when when it comes up to renew, can you do a lump sum? can you change your payments? Is it just the original contract the first five years that you can't do more than twenty percent or they kind of capped you uh,
0: yeah I guess i I guess it's capped because my my total guess this is a total guess is that they don't want me to like pay it down too quickly if I if I were to increase my payment by a significant amount, cause then it'll be like way more to principal every single, every single payment. Um, that's my guess that they wouldn't, that's why they keep it at like 20%. So there's an element of longevity with the mortgage is my, is a total guess again. Um, but I guess, yeah, renewal time, I just have to make the payment or I don't even know if it can get like re lumped in into a new mortgage or what, but uh, to keep it moving. But I, I got to ask them like the guy on the phone didn't really was just kind of giving me options, but I was like, he's like, he also said, I I didn't have to do anything. He's like, you can just do nothing. And then when it comes time to renewal, you just owe a little bit more um, at that time. So I thought I found that very interesting too.
2: It's just wild to me that I guess it's not actually wild. Cause at the end of the day, the bank doesn't give two craps. If As long as you're paying the interest, that's all they care about. That's like, but they're actively saying to you, no, stop trying to pay down your mortgage so quickly. They're not allowing it. I'm
0: not like I, that's kind of my my guess as to why, but yeah. but I'm not sure. Because like the limit that I could increase my payments, I think it's once a year was like twenty percent on the
1: payments, so mm. per month or whatever it was. So when you have these styles of mortgages, you're just restricted, right? You're restricted in what yeah. you can do <clears throat> as opposed to a full feature mortgage that's gonna be like a five year um so for instance. Uh, people like myself that lock in generally speaking you're going to be able to pay down 20% extra per year on a 5 year term so you still if you pay down 20% of your original borrowing rate it still takes you 5 years okay yeah, yeah. that makes sense right okay. so yeah. but then normally you can also increase your payment in many of the big banks up to 100% so you can double your payment okay so so obviously <clears throat> um in the in the type of mortgage that you took out they're saying you can only increase it by 20%. Now, here's the screwy part. Nobody thought that we would ever have payments increase by more than 20%, Mm. so now they're saying, well, the contract says you can't increase more than 20%, but they don't realize that they could actually be shooting themselves in the foot by not letting people increase, because lots of people have lots of uh, new, I guess, pay increases and different things, and they could actually pay down more if they wanted to. Except there's a function, and maybe this is something that the regulator like Ausfee has to look at, where we need to be able to break these terms if it's in best favor of both the bank and the borrower. Mm. Right now they're saying, sorry, we're, we're handcuffed, but we're handcuffed and it's screwing both of us
0: pretty much yeah and they they said i could i could do like a lump sum payment to like make it all fine but i was like well i just want to increase my payment by like i said it was only like 50 or 100 bucks on top of the 20% uh, to make it work or whatever but, so did yeah, you was,
2: do the 20% or did you just leave it the way I it was i did it yeah
0: i did it just just for the sake of having a little less of a of a bulk payment next year but i think the the challenge with locking in cuz i considered locking in cuz this property i want to keep for a while um, the challenge with locking in was that my rate was so low when the when the prime went so far down, and then as things were going up, it's like okay, well, why would I lock in now when fix is still higher? Why would I, like? And then,
2: then only
0: recently, and then it flipped right. But even even up until like last week when when the or I mean we're recording at the first week of August, so when yep. that July thing came in, and I got my new letter, uh, I think last week it was my my prime minus rate is still cheaper than what a fixed rate would be if I locked in. Really? Yeah. So you got a just really good it, initial it's prime. A, minus. It was a good, it was a good prime minus yeah. initially. So it's still cheaper and, or relatively similar. So it was like, well, I, I think at this point I might as well just ride it out and then see where I'm at come renewal time.
1: I think there's, let me just think about how this is going. To work. So You also then had, when rates got slashed, you had two years of going super accelerated. Yeah, exactly. So it saved me here now. So many people forget about is the fact that like for two years, your amortization was getting smashed because your payment didn't drop and you were just, you had a lower interest rate. So that's where so many of these people that took this type of loan were doing really good over particularly the last 20 years because as you know, except for 2018, yeah. uh, rates were going down, 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 down over time. And those people were actually paying off their mortgages faster. Personally, yeah. um, I would love to see this type of mortgage get removed by, you know, the regulator, because I think it's a, it is now predatory when we are in a spot where now uh, I shouldn't say predatory. The potential downside is really bad.
2: Some people like it though. Some people are very happy. Like I, I'm not agreeing with this. Some people are very happy that their payment isn't what it actually would have been. And even though they're only paying off interest in just a smidge of principal, they can handle it.
1: This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by the Story team at Royal LePage Signature in Toronto, Ontario. Although he's here on the recording with me right now and I don't like saying nice things about him to his face, Tom and his team, well, they are probably your best pick if you are looking to buy or sell residential real estate in downtown Toronto. Let's face it, probably the city of Toronto itself. Tom, make a strange face if that's wrong. That is correct. That is correct. All right, we are good to go. So if you are looking for one of, if not the top agent in downtown Toronto for your residential real estate needs, condos, semis, Mm -hmm. detached, if you're looking to upsize or downsize, give Tom and his team a call. And Tom, how would they get in touch with you?
2: I think the best thing would be go to the first link in the description uh, of this episode and you can book a call with me at a time that works for you. And uh, we'll go over all the information you need and, and see if we can be of service.
1: And I recommend if you are listening to this from across the country and you're either moving to Toronto or if you're an agent outside of Toronto and you have a client moving to Toronto, go ahead and book a call with Tom because he would love to take your referral. As well, that is the story team at Royal Page Signature in Toronto, Ontario. He's a pretty good guy. He knows what he's doing. Just don't tell him I said so. Tom, the last part we need to do before the end.
2: Uh, this communication is not intended to breach Ca- cause any breach. What's that? That was <laughs> oh, you want me to say it? <laughs> I
1: don't know what the word is. It. I don't even know what the words are. This communication is not intended to cause or induce breach of any existing agency agreement.
2: And now, back to the show. Like this is the bubble wrap put on the market right now by the banking system that is stopping all these people that can't afford their payments. Because they don't necessarily like it, but they can afford it. Where if it was not the static variable and it was just the adjustable variable, it might get to the point they're like, I literally can't make this payment. I got to sell this right now it's definitely a big difference so i one
0: of my investment properties um i, I just sold it but it it was and I, I did not sell it because the rate kept going up i i, I sold it cuz now i i'm ready to i want to buy a detached freehold property or semi detached whatever i can get into but yeah the timing just seemed right but anyway the i renewed last year like as rates were going up and i took a variable uh very specifically because i knew that I was coming crunch time to, to move this property and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I want the flexibility of being able to sell it uh, because this makes sense for me. And I think that's the biggest challenge even now. And like, obviously, I'm not a mortgage broker, but is the, it really depends on like, if, if you plan to hold a property for a long time and, and you're good with the fixed rate at the time, then, you know, take a fixed. But if you, I mean, if you're up for renewal and you know, like maybe you got to move this thing in one or two years or you want the flexibility, The variable is typically, from my understanding, cheaper to
1: to make the sale. People don't understand how expensive penalties are at five-year fixed rates at the big banks. They don't get it. They don't see – like you'll see sometimes on a closing statement come through – and a client will be like, what is this? And I'm like, well, first of all, i got no control over that. But you have to check with your bank. And the worst part is the bank won't just tell you. You actually like have to connect with somebody and they'll be like, well, if you close on the 15th, it'll be this much. If you close on the 16th, it'll be this much. I had someone move their closing date for convenience. <clears throat> now, they ended up getting it back, but the bank initially charged them an extra $11,000 to move it a week. Wow. Right? It's it's so Crazy. It's- It is. It is. So the uh, their their penalty was supposed to be eleven thousand. It was twenty two. Yeah, mine just don't get it. Mine was three months interest on the variable,
0: and I knew I was going to sell it. And actually, like I would have held on to it maybe a bit longer, but the tenant gave me notice that he wasn't going to renew for another year, and I was like, all right, well, the market in Ottawa was actually kind of trending decent, and I was like, okay, it's that that property's done enough for me. I want to come. I want to bring my investments back here to Toronto.
2: Um, Mike, one one of the things that you brought up at the beginning is when you started to actively invest, uh, you were doing a lot of like, okay, you bought it for yourself, short-term rent it. You come back, live there in the summer. Um, once you retired and moved back with these properties, did you continue to do the short-term stuff or did you go back to the one-year rental just so it's like you don't have to worry about it?
0: Yeah, so good question. So by the time I retired, I had three properties owned outright And I had two that I shared with, uh, with a friend and and a family member. And so I I had five doors essentially like, like, uh, when I retired. And, um, so what I did was in all of them were kind of different. Like one was a, one was run as an Airbnb, like through a property manager for some time. And then we kind of went through that for a bit and then we're like, all right, we're going to just rent this out full time. Uh, the other ones were, my main one has always been a short-term renter because that's that's where I would always move back into. And I actually like the medium-term rental, to be honest. Like, I like I like that because I find, and, and working with other athletes and stuff, the same kind of thing. Like, when you, like, the medium-term renter is typically someone who comes to a city like Toronto for a reason for six to eight months. And they're usually, if you think, like, if you're an athlete and you want to rent to another athlete in the city which we have our our big four sports teams you can you're kind of on the same kind of life cycle so you can basically have them in for 6 to 8 months it's fully furnished you don't have to move your stuff and then they you know they're going to move cuz they like their purpose here for the year is done and they're moving back to their their city or town and you move back in for the summer and then the next year you can you know the market value of rent has maybe changed or whatever, and now you can set that again and and kind of rinse and repeat that over over the course of the year. I've always liked that medium rent, and and to your question, um, I kept doing the medium term fully furnished rentals because mm. especially with condos and there are different rules in different buildings. Like the, where I the ones I own in are six months minimum rental. Yep. So, so that kind of works great. Like I try to get a six to eight month renter in there. Um, The condo board's good with it. Uh, I can. It's fully furnished, so there there is a bit of a premium there. It's not like a a fast turning Airbnb. There's not a lot of. uh, I'm not dealing with getting it cleaned every four days and stuff. It's like it's very similar
2: to a 12 month. It's just for eight. So you were never doing like nightly rentals. You were never running like a no. little hotel you were always did like three months or something like it was it was yeah. not technically short term because it was over 28 days
0: yeah i did a little bit at the very start like way back like 2014 15 yeah. and i was just paying my my help paying my rent every month but um it was it just it's a lot of it's a lot of upkeep like if like the airbnb game is is a lot of work like i know it sounds really good and you charge a premium on on rent and stuff but there is an element of the wear and tear of your property yeah. you have to have cleaners like, and to clean a property now is a couple hundred bucks or 300 bucks to get it cleaned. Right. And so that comes off your bottom line. And then you got to deal with getting them keys and you got to deal with the phone calls. And if you do it all yourself, great. But if you're going to also pay someone 20% to manage it, plus the cleaning fee, like it really chips away at the, at your gross margin right so it, it really or your net margin it really makes a difference so i found the three to six to eight month rental is kind of a nice sweet spot of like not a ton of maintenance the person moving in there is going to take care of it like it's their own because they're there for some time and generally i found it it's been a better experience in my in my
1: opinion so would you have like how often did you rent to like a buddy of a buddy that was another hockey player that was coming into town yeah, uh, fairly often,
0: but also in. And the one thing where a city like Toronto really thrives in this space is like, it's not just athletes. Like I've I've rented to people who work at like Loblaws headquarters, which is two blocks away from one of the condos I own, or they, you know, they're they're business people that um or they're like working at the airport for for a certain amount of time to get it up and running, like because my my places are very central, so you're getting. Very good professionals coming in for a purpose, and I found a city like Toronto definitely gives the benefit of that. And Ottawa was the same. Like, like those properties are rate right by uh, Parliament or the like Bank of Canada. It's all like uh, um, the the uh, the Supreme Court of Canada. Also, right. like they're all right there. So I had like law clerks and Parliament workers and stuff
2: like that. Spend some good time there. Did. Tiff ever rent from you on a short-term <laughs> six-month rental? He did not. Okay. Uh, he did not know. If Fair he did, enough. I would
0: have had his direct number. I could ask him what. Yeah, what let him know.
2: What, ask him what's going on. <laughs>
1: what's what's yeah. happening next? Can I tell you my inside story here? Um, sure. About, I don't think I've told you this, Tom, because this is uh, like three times removed. So this is a game of telephone for sure. But I know someone that I speak to regularly who knows someone whose friend. So So you start rumors, yeah. Right? Worked at the Bank of Canada. Okay. And their uh, estimation this spring was two increases Okay. after spring, right? So after January. Two more increases, one cut in fall. One cut in fall? Yeah. So that was their projection for the year. Two more increases. Now, they did say, though, that it was supposed to be a quarter and then a half and then a quarter cut. And we only had two quarters. And we so, had two quarters. Interesting. But we could be following that trend. So my uh varied rumored three times removed Bank of Canada prediction
2: could be right. Almost. I hope uh I hope it's right. Not for any other reason than the fact that, like an idiot again in my predictions video for this year, I said we'd have a 25 point cut in Q3 of 2023. Uh, which I don't think's gonna happen, but we'll see. Um, well, I
1: said I said we were gonna go down another five percent or so in price, maybe ten. You're gonna be up that much, and we are up like, uh, a lot more than that right now. Yeah. Although we have slowed, what are you guys seeing? We are seeing the summer slow. Yeah, that I I predict now. Everybody's gonna say it's the crash. Okay, cool, fine. Right now, slow, boring. Lots of people just like taking vacation not a lot of showings going on i'm not getting anybody panicking one way or the other Mm -hmm. but not nearly the amount of showings that we were hoping for for how busy the market is but there's still deals coming together so are you guys seeing that really slow summer like i i feel like it's
2: it's like the mid-season baseball right now like uh, another game i am but mike just got six offers on one of his listings so i don't know we we should figure out what he's doing
0: (laughs) um yeah, a bit of a mix, though, because I do have an, I have uh, two properties that have been on the market. And one, they are very different product and different price points. So that definitely, I think, is playing a factor. One of them was a little more entry level and a lot of activity. We had, I think, 35, 36 showings in in about a week or so and uh, ended up with six offers. So it was, it was pretty active. But the other one has been a little bit slower over that course of time. And I don't know. I, I mean, the city, like... Toronto I don't know if you feel the same Tom like it feels very slow out there like yeah like like there's not a like traffic seems feel slow these days like everything like I drove out to Mississauga last night for showing and um I got there in like 20 minutes at rush hour and which is like sometimes a 45 minute drive at that time so I think just maybe you know it is long weekend and stuff and maybe we're just going back into a normal seasonal change like or just a seasonal
2: time in the market i think so as well you know we we saw prices go up five months in a row from january uh to may and now june and july are are down so we've had two months of drops not just in price but in sales volume as well um and we could almost say you know but by the end of August, it's going to be the third month in a row that it dropped off on both slightly in that direction. And and I've been looking at, at September, October is like that's going to tell us really where things are at. The summer, not to say it's a total write off, but like you can't really come to any conclusions with the stuff that goes on in the summer. And I was looking this morning and there's currently right now 15,000 active listings uh, on the market previous to that in may there was like 9000 the months before that it was like 10 to 11 so we're slow like the the inventory is building right and and then i thought like okay well what do we have to get to to say like okay prices are actually going down again there's there's this much inventory there's this much demand and i looked back at august 2008 just to be like what what was going on then there was 25,000 active listings in August 2008. So not that we have the double inventory, but it's really got to pile up here for us to slow down. Um, but yeah, I think the rest of August is going to be pretty relaxed. Yeah, yeah. Our,
1: our active listings, as reported by the board, just crept over 6,000 for the first time. Isn't that yeah. what you've always said is a healthy market, 6,000? But here's, here's one thing I've noticed, and I have no idea. I'm speaking out of turn because this is not my specialty. But I have noticed when I'm looking at residential active listings, they've capped out about 5400 But But active listings on the board are still going up. And I'm like, what is going on? Hmm. Here's where I think it is coming in. Residential is about flat. Commercial, which normally does not go on the real estate board because most of it's done back end right, uh, off-market exclusive type sure. stuff, I think those guys are seeing a slowdown and therefore they're bringing the commercial listings onto the commercial MLS, which is usually very inactive. And that's where we're starting to see stuff kind of pile up. Not a ton, but if you go from 100 active to 600 active commercial mm-hmm. listings, that number is going to stack up really, really quickly.
2: I want to just share two numbers quickly here for our market, Mike. Uh, The average sale price in May was one one nine six, so one point two million, right? In June it was one one eight two, so you know fifteen grand lower. July numbers officially, because obviously August aren't out yet as we're recording this. July numbers were one 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 eight, so like a sixty thousand dollar drop. But that's not actually the significant part. The Number of sales in May, there was 9,012 sales in May. In July, there was 5,250. So that's the drop off. And it, it built up and that takes us back to just over what we did in February in terms of sales. So wow. you can tell the sales volumes dropping off. So are the prices in the summer, which makes sense. It's the summer plus two rate hikes, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, I'm just curious to see where, where things go in uh in September, October, because you know, you price stuff right, it's still moving. It's not like properties aren't selling. It's just the the crap is sitting, which is which is probably
1: a, a good thing. Are you guys seeing like when you're just out and about, is there any slowdown yet? Are you having like in your daily life are you seeing any slowdown in spending for anybody? Are you hearing rumors about people maybe selling their cars or getting out from car payments or anything like that? Well, I don't know.
0: We walk. I mean, our office, hey Tom, we're like right downtown. Every patio on a sunny day is just ramped Fact. every day, every Fact. single day. Um, concerts. Everyone like I like I live right by the like the best summer concert venue in the city, and every concert sold out. So I don't know. Like I I still think. People are still living their life out there and even though it feels dead like from a traffic perspective, all the the patios and stuff seem pretty full. It could
2: also be that there's still enough demand for all these type of things like eating out, like going to the concerts with the people that have done very well over the last 10 years and this means nothing to them to spend this money. But then what we don't see is like all the people that aren't going to any of these things Mm -hmm. that are struggling – but there's still enough demand of the people. And, and that's what a lot of people are saying, maybe is what is happening with Canada is like you have the upper class and then you have the lower class and the middle class is just kind of fading away. So m- maybe there's something to be said with that. But I could there just could be. be. That I up. mean, I just saw
1: an article that I
2: don't, I don't know.
1: This is not my specialty at all. Um, but I heard that Beyonce is now selling listening only tickets to her concerts. So you can't see the stage. And now Tom, what what price what price do you think you would pay for a Beyonce ticket to listen from a distance?
2: Well, I wouldn't pay any price. But Exactly. That's but what price would someone maybe pay is probably what you're getting at. I don't yeah. know, 200 bucks. They're $199.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For not being able to watch the concert. And it's just, like, this is where, like, I was just in Kelowna this week, and first of all, Lake Properties, you think, you think property here is expensive, or in Vancouver is expensive, you should see Lakefront outside of Salmon Arm. Um, it was pretty crazy. Uh, professional hockey players, by the way, I learned one of the neighbors yeah. on one of the properties we were at. Um, I'll tell you guys about that off air. There's a lot there, yeah, there's a lot yeah. in Kelowna. Yeah, um, so... But I couldn't believe it. So Kelowna has this big water mattress-type playground thing out on the water. Oh, cool. Right? So they float this thing. It's like half half of a football field. And it's like, ah, maybe not half, maybe a quarter of a football field. And it's like all these kids are out playing on it. And I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't like a free thing. So I walk over. There's a booth. Everybody on the thing has the same life vest on, right? So you can see who's paid or not paid. To play... On a uh, life raft, let's call it. A large life Like there's some slides and climbing things. $36. Steve. <laughs> Steve's just a guy. 36 <laughs> bucks To walk out there and walk on water for a little bit. Ice cream cones. Did you for go? My kids no, I did not go. Ice <laughs> cream cones for my kids were $10 each.
2: Let me ask you a question. You didn't go, but the, how many it other people were out? Packed. packed. Okay. Yeah.
1: It was packed. Now I think they have a. I think they have a very good method to their madness there because when you look out there and you see like all the party kids. Was it mostly kids? Like, like I mean, no. like children, not like no. It, so they actually had a much cheaper price for kids and their parents, and then like when you have like, um, I guess the twenty-five-year-old to thirty-year-old people that are partying there that weekend that's a way higher price so i'm like that's actually probably pretty smart but parking in downtown Kelowna was more expensive than downtown vancouver Hmm. interesting that place was jammed absolutely jammed
2: speaking of expensive things uh mike you've got an event coming up that might cost you a few shekels by the time this podcast is out you are a married man yep we are crashing the party steve me and my team member Umrit are just showing up
0: <laughs> told me about ten times that if anyone from the office is coming and he's not coming, he'll be he'll never talk to me again. So you guys are welcome, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're excited. Um, you know, I I listen to this podcast a lot, and one thing I know you guys both talk about is like your support systems, and I'm I'm super grateful. Like my my at this whenever this comes out, she will be my wife Laura. She is also a real estate investor, uh, oh. but you know, so we we. Mutually bond on that, obviously, but she also gets uh, the business side of it, and you know I'm super grateful for the support she gives me when I'm working. You know, I, I I try to be at the office. I try to be pretty consistent with with that, and and then once showings come on, like it, like the last two days, for example, like I I basically didn't see her for like 48 hours, uh, very very short amount of time, and we don't have any kids or anything yet, so. Um, We do have an awesome dog, Molly, but yeah, I'm I'm super grateful that, that she, she supports me in that way. And, and, you know, I'm,
2: I'm pretty lucky. So I'm pretty excited for the wedding and uh, yeah, it's, it's been good. There is certainly something to be said and not to understate it, like our significant others, but that put up with the crap that we have to go through sometimes. Like, you know, you could have every system in the world sometimes there's an offer that needs to be dealt with and they don't care that you're out for your anniversary dinner like like you know i know everyone has their different opinions about real estate agents but like most of the stuff that happens have to happens after five and on the weekends like it truly does and having someone that understands that and doesn't resent you for that and steve Mm -hmm. i think your favorite line is like so what, what is it you tell sellers like nothing's more important the your only thing I like, wanna
1: do, yeah, I say this in, in every single one of my like first interviews. The only thing I wanna do more than get your get your home sold or help you buy a property is to be at home uh with my kids for dinner each night. I wanna be a good dad and a and a good husband, right? Like that's that's the only thing that's gonna take priority over top of this. And it's really interesting. I heard I was I don't know if you guys uh just recently came out, Jordan Peterson interviewed Gad Sad. Two really controversial dudes. Um, but it was a really inspiring kind of thought that I, that they brought out. I think it was Jordan Peterson brought it out. And it was like the closest thing you can get to a meaning of life or a purpose or a happy life, whatever you want to call that, is uh, a proper, um, I guess you would call it romantic relationship or whatever, uh, intimate relationship, uh, a successful intimate relationship. And being happy in your workday. Being happy with what you do. In other words, enjoying both your, for instance, marriage and enjoying your work. If you can do those two things, the rest of your life is easy. And I I was like, man, that is really, really good advice. Because we're told, oh, don't work so hard. No, screw that. Work hard and also work on your marriage. And if those two things are in line, the rest of your life, man, simple.
0: Yeah. And I'm trying to build that too. Like as, as my business is growing um, and Tom, I'm sure I'll be picking your brain as I always do. Like what is my next step to help take away some of my, some of the stuff that I'm doing, which is basically everything at this point. Um, I just have a little bit of virtual assistant help, but the rest I'm doing all of it. So um, that'll be kind of the next thing. And and I'm trying to make a point to, which has been interesting, like kind of, bulk my week to, like, a couple of days if I can, like, with showings or whatever, so that I can make sure that I'm home for dinner on a certain night or, or whatever and try to bring that in. That's been, uh, I would say, this is, like, I'm two and a half years in. That's kind of been the biggest challenge is, like, now that I'm getting busier, how do I still make time so that, you know, I, I can have a successful relationship and, and uh, you know, piece all that together.
1: It's been, it's been a cool thing to kind of figure out. Still working I, on it. My advice on that is um don't stress about it until there's kids involved and once kids come it's like home for dinner uh the other like we would always shift before my kids came around um we would always shift like dinner seven o'clock eight o'clock if we need to fine but we would have dinner together every night um but that like five to seven p.m phone off thing um is as soon as my first daughter was born Right, so that's where you would really cool. focus. But your first step, as I'm sure Tom can walk walk you through it offline, is yeah, just get that assistant that can help you do all those things. Your life's gonna be way better. My team has been doing a lot of vacation lately, and let me tell you, man, I'm not used to it. <laughs> I'm doing the real real estate work now,
2: and it's just like, man, a team is everything. Steve, I think you need a vacation. You got to take your family to Disney. I'm okay. going tomorrow. On <laughs> not vacation, to Disney uh, nice. or. Or uh, seven, eight, eight nights.
1: Are you taking gone. your dumb phone? I am taking uh, my brand new iPhone 14 and I am turning it off and leaving it in the glove compartment.
2: <laughs> Mr. Uh, conservative Financial Guy is going out and buying new iPhones. This is all a yep. sham, guys. Behind the scenes, he's just
1: spending. He's spending. <laughs> I, got it w- I got it with a plan. <laughs> hey, no, no, that's not true. Are we really going to do this? Okay, let's no, keep going, <laughs> Uh McDonald Realty, shout out. Uh David, head of IT there, uh, negotiated us a new Bell Mobility plan. So this phone came with the new plan, of which was reduced by fifteen
2: dollars a month. So eat it, Tom Stories. Well, that is that is very great. Okay, we are deep in the weeds here. We we are deep. Let's wrap this thing up. Uh thank (laughs) you everyone for listening. Mike, for people that want to connect with you, what is the best place for them to go?
0: Yeah. Um Really, anywhere, but Instagram I would say is probably the easiest at Michael loses real estate uh, YouTube still trying to get to even remotely close to your guys' level, but uh, work in progress is definitely harder harder than it looks that's for sure
2: well you're doing it you're like one of the few that's consistently actually doing it and it and as Steve will tell you, you throw out all those videos and then one of them just clicks, and then the whole thing changes right. Um, so that's pretty cool. Mike, as thank we you- are hoping just happened
1: with this, uh, channel there. Tom's well, a few
2: weeks our- ago we had, we had Randy West on and, uh, that, that episode went a little bit, uh, not viral, well, viral for us, like went a little bit crazy. For us,
1: it went really well.
2: Um, and this one will as well. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for watching. Also, just to give you a little bit of a sneak peek of maybe what's coming up in the future, is we have an exclusive interview with the president of OREA, not the CEO of OREA, but the president, about the new benefits plan that is coming to every realtor in Ontario. So if you're listening to this and that includes you, I think you're going to want to listen to that episode because there has been lots of different opinions on that and that's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for watching. If you've made it to the very, very end on YouTube, if you hadn't have not hit like yet, My question is why? Come on, just do it before you click off. And if you haven't subscribed, do that as well. If you're listening on the audio platforms, make sure to leave us a review. My name's Tom. On behalf of Steve and Mike, have an amazing day and we will see you next Sunday. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks, Mike. That was awesome, man.